Entirely. If they can monitor your bank account over $600, if the government gets paid before you get paid, if everything that you want to pass down to your family gets taxed, are you free? Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Tea with Taylor. In this episode, I would like to focus on the topic of taxes because, you know, as they say, nothing is certain in life except for death and taxes. And I'm going to break up the episode within a few different subcategories. One, providing you with a brief history of taxation in throughout the history of America. Two, what the Biden administration is proposing or having discussions about implementing on the American people. Three, a breakdown of the tax brackets, the tax rates, and who pays the majority of taxes in America. Four, the psychological impact of tax policies and what it ends up resulting in as far as the behaviors of entrepreneurs, investors, and ultimately the impact on the economy. And then I'm going to wrap up as to why we need to reduce and even eliminate many of the taxes that are levied against the American citizens. First, I want to start off by just reading a quote from Thomas Jefferson that he wrote to James Madison, which I'm sure you know are some of the founding fathers of America. So when I quote, the accounts of the United States ought to be and may be made as simple as those of a common farmer capable of being understood by common farmers. And again, that was Thomas Jefferson to James Madison. Stating, and when they were constructing America and debating on what the how the government should be orchestrated it was a government with the idea that it would be for the people and by the people and meaning it would be understood by the people and when he says the common farmer it's like the common man then when you look at our US the US tax code the US tax code is 74,608 pages long do you think that would be understood by the common farmer or otherwise the common man? No, it's not even understood by the politicians that vote on it and the lobbyists and the attorneys that write it because there is just no way the human brain can conceptualize and understand everything that is written in a 74,000 page booklet or tax code. And this is 187 times longer than it was just a century ago in 1913. And as we'll discuss when I go into a brief history of taxation in America, 1913 was when the 16th Amendment was ratified, instituting the federal income tax and the creation of the Federal Reserve. So at that time, the tax code was 400 pages long. Today, it's over 74,000 pages long. And the 1040 tax form, which is what many people, how many people file their taxes, in 1913 was four pages long. Today it's 115 pages long. Still 115 pages is much too long when American citizens are trying to file their taxes. As many of you know, and when tax season comes, it is one of the most confusing times for individuals who are trying to figure out what they owe Uncle Sam. And myself like I'm sure many of you I just pay someone to do it because I have no idea so I pay a CPA to do that as well as many of the wealthy people why do you think the lobbyists and the wealthy are technically or I, I should have 
you know, put them in, that's a little bit of an over-exaggeration or simplification because obviously there's corporations and wealthy people who don't want such a complicated tax code, but only people that have enough wealth to pay the best CPAs to get as much tax deductions or write-offs as they possibly can would be somewhat in favor of a 74,000 page tax code. Or politicians who like to funnel and laundry American taxpayers' money in whatever institution or to whatever organization of their choosing. So as some of you probably know, the Constitution does give Congress the ability to levy taxes against the American citizens. And this is a topic that I would like to do some more research and educate myself on further. For the time being, I'm going to just read the portion of the Constitution that is specific about Congress and taxes. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1, the Congress shall have power to lay and collect, collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to the debts and provide the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excesses shall be uniform throughout the United States, meaning they should be the same and people should be paying the same amount of taxes throughout all the states of America. So now I'm going to dive into a brief history of taxes in the USA. And that is taxes have not always existed as they do today. It's kind of hard to believe because we've been so conformed or have just accepted the amount of taxes that we pay as the Kind of the way that it's been it's the ordinary system that we have grown up in and have been very almost desensitized desensitized to but many of the citizens of america when it was first created actually enjoyed very few taxes so we're going to start off kind of pre-america in the colonial times because the birth of america was heavily influenced by taxes that were levied by the british at the time so in 1763, after the Seven Year War, which was the French and Indian War with Great Britain, began they began to increase taxes on the colonies via imports to offset the cost of the war. And as we'll notice as I go through the history of taxes, many times taxes are implemented and ratified in order to pay for wars, to support wars, to pay the debt of the war, or maybe in some cases even start a war. So as I continue, 1764, the British Parliament imposed Currency Act and the Sugar Act imposing a tax per gallon on molasses imports equivalent to more than $2 a gallon a day, or $2 a gallon today. 1765 was the Stamp Act. They had to pay taxes, so the British were making the colonies purchase paper from the British that had a stamp on it to say that they to, to notify or claim that they paid their taxes. And these this paper, was on materials such as for newspapers, magazines, legal documents, and like I said, they would have to purchase it from Britain to show that they paid the tax with the stamp on it. This was repealed by 1767 was the Townsend Act, which placed duties on certain goods being imported into America, like paint, paper, glass, lead, and tea. It was the second time in U.S. history where the colonies when they were the tax that there was being levied against them was purely to produce revenue for the government, which was a topic of debate between America and the British Parliament because Americans weren't obviously very accepting of these additional taxes. And Benjamin Franklin actually used it in his debate saying that the government shouldn't be able to propose taxes on its citizens purely for producing revenue. It should be to pay for a specific thing or a debt 
agree or disagree, but that was part of the debates at that time. So the Townsend Acts ended up did end up being repealed and then just within the same year, the Indemnity Act of 1767, which lowered taxes of the British East India Company, which imported tea to England. And that was kind of one early example of the government picking winners and losers as far as when it comes to a company or even an industry where they heighten taxes or lower taxes or give subsidies to a specific business or an industry that the government wants to either succeed or to punish. And that is not example of free market capitalism or the free market just in general. That is the government colluding in the market and picking winners and losers, which we see so much of today in America. It's really hard to decipher what is free market and what is not because the government has its incentives or punishments entangled in every single industry and it affects every single company. So as I continue, we had the Tea Act of 1776, which allowed British East India Company to sell tea to the colonies duty-free and much cheaper than other tea companies, creating a monopoly on the tea industry because that company was essential or played a big role in the British economy of the day. And obviously this act is what this act, in addition to the ones that I previously mentioned, was kind of like the tipping point as far as the American colonies to declare independence again against the British. And this obviously resulted in the Boston Tea Party, where they dumped a bunch of tea into the water and it was worth quite a bit of money. And this obviously escalated into the Revolutionary War between America and Great Britain. At the time, it was obviously the colonies in 1776. And many of you know that even though we declared independence in 1776, we actually didn't create our federal government constitution or ratify the constitution until 1787, so more than a decade later. So there was a lot of debate between not only the founding fathers, but between the colonies, there was the Articles of Confederation, and there was many debates and thoughts and scenarios that were going on that eventually led to the federal constitution that was then ratified in 1787. So now you have what is America, and we're gonna kind of go through, so now the taxes that were implemented onto America once she was now an independent nation from Great Britain. In 1797, the estate tax was to fund the US Navy. It was repealed, but reinstituted over the years, often in response to need to finance wars. The modern state tax, as we know, was implemented in 1916. As I said, you're gonna notice a lot throughout this brief history of America's taxes that many times it was to support and to finance the wars that we've been a part of as well as I want to say that many of these taxes were instituted and repealed and so you I, I ask you to do further investigation but many of them times just keep that in mind when I'm going through these taxes some of them are repealed or reinstituted under different names so just keep that in mind so as I continue in 1861 which was the first revenue act this was the first federal income to fund the civil war yet again in 1862 the second Revenue Act, which expanded the taxes to inheritance and introduced a gift tax for the first time. This legislation led to the creation of the country's first income tax and the first version of the Office of Commissioner of Internal Revenue, the earlier version of what we now call today the IRS, which is the Internal Revenue Service. And 
in my opinion, we must, I think it is time that we abolish the IRS because the amount of surveillance it provides the government over our finances and our personal information is a step, many steps way too far as to an encroachment and an, over, a an example of government overreach. So as I continue, the second Revenue Act was repealed in 1872, but not for long. In 1894, the Wilson-Gorman Tariff, in response to the 1893 Depression, Democrats passed a federal income tax and reduced tariffs. So they were starting to, they were taxing individual incomes of American citizens and they were reducing tariffs as far as the global um, trading with other countries. And actually it was causing it was it it made the situation worse because it was cheaper to now import import products rather than create them here in the U.S. and they were already having issues and then you were taxing taxing its citizens and then they were you were reducing their amount of funds and then reducing their amount of implementation or investment into the economy. So then. After 1894, the Wilson-Gorman tariffs were enacted. In 1895, this bill went up to the Supreme Court in the Pollock vs. Farmers Loan Trust, which struck down the federal income tax of 1894. In a 5-4 vote, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the income tax is a direct, direct tax and therefore unconstitutional. Chief Justice Fuller, writing for the majority, and I quote, Ordinarily, all taxes paid primarily by persons who can shift the burden upon someone else or who are under no legal compulsion to pay them are considered indirect taxes. But a tax upon property holders in respect of their estates, whether real or personal, or of the income yielded by such estates and the payment of which cannot be avoided are direct taxes. As I said before, this is something I want to do a lot more research on, but just given the what's written in the constitution and then them this supreme court ruling they're saying because when you're taxing someone's income or someone's property they cannot avoid the tax without punishment versus if it's a tax on a certain product or a certain service you c the american citizen can avoid paying that tax by opting out of that service or purchasing that product so because it's a direct tax they're saying it's unconstitutional and struck down the the gorman tariff act or the federal income tax of 1893. Then in 1898, the War Revenue Act implemented an inheritance tax of 0.74% up to 15%, which was used to fund the Spanish-American War, another war that, your ta that our tax dollars, when they keep raising taxes or implementing another tax, much of it goes to war. In 1909, corporate income taxes were enacted. In 1913, federal income taxes and the Federal Reserve were instituted as to pay for World War One, and this was under the um, Woodrow Wilson administration, who was just an example of such a expansive period of the American federal government. And I was, I am doing a lot of research on this, and will have another episode in the future on just how quickly and in what time periods the federal government expanded to such a great length and Woodrow Wilson is a great example of a government of a president who totally expanded the size and scope of the federal government in 1913 being one of the most essential years with the ratification of the 16th amendment which was the federal income as well as the institution of the central bank of america the federal reserve which has caused many many problems but that's for a different episode. But even at this time of the 
16th Amendment being ratified, taxes were very marginal compared to what they are today. In 1913, the marginal tax rate was 1% on income 0 to 200 or 0 to 20,000, 2% on incomes 20,000 to 50,000, 3% on incomes 50,000 to 75,000. 4% on incomes of 75,000 to 100,000, excuse me, 5% on incomes of 100,000 to 250,000, 6% on incomes of 250,000 to 500,000, 7% on incomes of 500,000 and up. The tax rates were the same for all, for everyone. There was no like filing status. You didn't have a bunch of write-offs, which is important because there shouldn't be a write-off. There should be, if we were to keep the federal taxes or obviously I think the the whole tax code should be burned, abolished, and we should start over from scratch. We should have some sort of a flat tax. Of course, if you wanted to keep it progressive, the less you make, the less you pay, up to, and I think it should be a cutoff of 10%. No one should have to pay more than 10% of their income. And there should be absolutely no write-offs. Keep the tax is fair, keep them consistent, keep them limited, and then get rid of the incentive of any write-offs because that only, for one, it provides the easy way out for politicians like Bernie Sanders and all these Elizabeth Warren who want to tax the rich and the billionaires tax with the 1%. Yet behind the scenes, they're allowing all these loopholes for write-offs and to get subsidies here and there. And you're having these, you're having them be able to curtail their message to their voters and manipulate them into believing that they're raising taxes on the rich. And even though, as we'll see, the rich do pay the majority of taxes in America, they're also behind the scenes, allowing these lobbyists and these others to create these laws where there's these big loopholes and many of these individuals that they're saying they're raising taxes on are also going to have some sort of leeway as far as a way out to pay for the very taxes that they're convincing their constituents that they're levying on them. So I don't think there should be any form of write-offs or anything like that. It should be a flat tax, very transparent, easy to understand, easy to file and it should be understood by the common farmer, like Jefferson was saying in that quote earlier, or the common man, as we would probably refer to as today. But as I continue from 1913, now we're, now we're on to 1916, which was the estate tax or the death tax, which is in a problem of its own. We should totally abolish the death tax or estate tax. You pay taxes your whole life. Many of them, much of the money that you invest, you pay taxes on. The money that you're making, you pay taxes on. The things that you're purchasing, you pay taxes on. And then when you pass the government, Big Brother, Uncle Sam, they then think they can tax your wealth and your assets, what you've worked your whole life for, while paying taxes. It's absolutely, it's not moral. It is not something that I think a free people should pay taxes their whole life and then know that they should pay additional taxes after they pass when many of these people want to pass on their incomes, their living, the wealth that they created to their family members and it should go to their family members, not to the government. I think it's it should totally be done away with. In 1921, the Revenue Act of 1921 was instituted which increased capital gains tax from 7% to 12.5%. Capital gains tax is another thing that should be totally abolished, which I'm going to touch on a little bit later when I discuss more in depthly what the Biden administration is communicating around unrealized capital gains tax. And as I'm kind of portraying, a lot of these taxes 
need to be totally repealed, not even just reduced, but totally eliminated. And the government shouldn't be able to charge you for just everything you do in your life. That is not how our government was set up to be. And that is not how a free society actually should be living or be how it should be governed. In 1924 was the gift tax. Again, something I don't think the government should have the ability to tax, do away with, totally abolish. Um, between 1921 and 1940 was the enactment of the sales tax in different states, with West Virginia being the first in 1921. 11 states followed suit in 1933, and by 1940, 18 or more state or 18 more states had filed for a sales tax. In 1935, the Federal Insurance Contributions Act of FICA is a law that mandates a payroll tax on the paychecks of employees. And in 1935, so this is all under FDR, which is another example of a president who totally expanded the size and scope of the federal government, having it, allowing it to have so much more power over each individual, industries, the economy, and totally reconstructed in, in the new, I mean, that was, that was his plan, the, the, the New Deal, which was like a new federal government entangling itself with every aspect of the American citizens' lives, whether it be in their individual lives and definitely within the economy and corporations as well. He also instituted in 1935 the Social Security Act, which contributes from employers to fund Social Security and Medicare, which we'll also touch on later because Social Security and Medicare are the two largest debts. It accumulates the most out of the U.S. budget. In 1935, the Revenue Act or the Wealth Tax was instituted as well under FDR, which is a top rate jump from 59% on incomes over a million dollars to 75% on incomes over $500,000. And in my opinion, like I said, I want to do more research, but this would be unconstitutional to me because it's not uniformed. It's not the same. And I don't think you can just directly tax someone because they're wealthy. As I said, I think it would be much more beneficial, transparent, fair, in, in, a, in the real term of fair, not just like, you know, everyone needs to pay their fair share. In the real term of fair, and what I believe to be fair, there should just be a flat tax. You can't just tax people because they're wealthy. They can range from 1% tax to 10%. I think that would be a good cutoff. And there should be no write-offs and it should be transparent and everyone should understand the rules understand the taxes and understand how to file them. And then we continue in 1936, the dividends tax, which enacted but not but only lasted to, through to 1939. They reappeared in 1957 and persisted ever since, like I said, uh, re repealed and then reinstituted many times under different names, but often throughout the history of taxes in America. And then in 1943, the current tax payment act with this, the withholding system that applied to wages and salaries. This again was under FDR. And a lot of these taxes were implemented because of World War II and to pay for World War II. So just another example of our taxes and our increase in taxes to allow our government to infiltrate and be a participate in more wars. And this one I would also argue is not constitutional and it is also egregious and immoral. The withholding tax, so when your employer pays you, before it even hits your bank account, Uncle Sam, big brother, the federal government, thinks that they get to take their share, which they are not, they don't have the right to, but apparently they think they do. They get to take 
money from you, your hard-earned money before it even hits your paycheck. That's when you that's why you see your taxes already reduced. So you don't even have a say as far as your taxes until you get to tax season and it's so confusing, you just usually hire someone or you try and do it yourself. So again, an example of how our tax code and how further taxes creates more government regulation and expansion and a less transparent system for the actual people, the citizens, that that government and these taxes are supposed to represent or benefit. It's, it's ridiculous, which is why I say the tax code needs to totally be abolished and start from scratch. And lastly, in 1978, the Alternative Minimum Tax, or AMT, places a floor on the percentage of taxes that a filler must pay to the government, no matter how many deductions or credits the filer, might, the filer may claim. Now, of course, there have been other taxes that have been enacted since 1978, but these are the bulk of the taxes and what we're paying today when it comes to the income tax, when it comes to um, gift tax and estate tax and the withholding taxes. A lot of these happened, as you can see, in the 20th century between 1913 and 1978. I would say another tax that, which is obviously more on the state level, but property taxes. I totally think property taxes should be abolished because we don't own our own land then. We rent our land from the government and I don't think that's how it should be. Actually, if you read a lot of our founders' debates early on, it, it's how important they thought was property and the rights to property and to own land. And so I just totally disagree with property taxes. There has to be a way, maybe when you live in a certain area, you pay, you know, you have a specific fee for your certain area, like many condos and houses, they have associations. So maybe it's something like that and you opt in or opt out, but to have to rent your land from the government is totally inconceivable and it really, it really reduces the freedoms and liberties of the citizens who occupy that nation and it really is their land it's not the government's and therefore if you don't pay your taxes they can just take you they can just arrest you they can take they can seize your property from you so you don't actually own your property or your land which is a big issue here in america and something that i very much think should start to be communicated on and politicians should start campaigning as far at least on the republican side to abolish um property taxes so now i want to kind of discuss the biden administration and some of the communications and the policies that they are discussing implementing against or upon the american citizens first being unrealized capital gains tax as we stated before capital gains tax was instituted i believe in 1921 under the revenue act of 1921 for one like i said capital gains tax should be totally abolished. Majority of the taxes, if not all the, or the majority of the money that you're investing in the economy and then making a gain on or a profit was money that was already taxed. So I'll provide you with an example of capital gains tax. Let's say you bought purely an investment property. I'm using hypothetical numbers. You purchased the property for $200,000. You sold it for $300,000. The government now wants a percentage of that profit, so you you profited $100,000, the government is then going to tax that $100,000.
even though the majority, if not all of the monies that you put into that investment have already been taxed. Seriously, how many times can the government tax the dollar? It is just theft. I mean, they are just, your dollar has been taxed so many times, the value isn't even a dollar. And then they'll just continue to print money through the Federal Reserve, which is having a central bank is an issue of its own and being further investigated. And I will have an episode in the future on it. But then they just print the money ever since we've gone to a paper system, which causes inflation. And now not only did they tax that dollar repeatedly, they also made it worth less by evaluating the currency. So unrealized capital gains is even worse because you haven't even un obtained that profit yet. So instead of purchasing the property at 200,000 and selling it for 300,000 and having a profit of 100,000, unrealized capital gains tax, which isn't real, would be owning an asset and purchasing it for $200,000 and it being appraised for $300,000, but you haven't sold it yet. It just appraised for a value higher than you purchased it for. And then the government, Uncle Sam, big brother, being able to tax you on those unrealized or those fake profits because you haven't sold the property. So they're taxing you on the appraised value, but not the sold profit. That is absolutely ridiculous. For one, the real estate market, I'm a realtor, was just insane this last summer. So let's say they started appraising everyone's properties and taxing them on that appraised value. Come next year, now that the market's starting to correct themselves, you could lose 20, 30, 100% of that profit, maybe even be underwater from what you purchased it for, but the government already charged you taxes for that profit you never obtained. This is absolutely insane. And anyone who thinks that the government has a right, for one, to your profits regardless, but to profits you haven't even obtained or cashed in on, that is crazy. That is like, for one, it doesn't even make sense in the world of economics because that money is not real. But the government's really good at obtaining profits and obtaining money that's not real. They print money that's not real. They spend money they don't have, which we're going to get into a little bit further in the episode when I talk about the trillions of dollars they receive, but the deficit that they can't seem to manage whatsoever. What the Biden administration has also talked about in Yellen at the Federal Reserve has communicated that they want to give the IRS, which again was instituted thanks to the under the Abraham Lincoln administration during the Civil War and then repealed and reinstituted, but they want to give the IRS access to bank accounts of $600. That means the federal government would have a permanent audit on almost all Americans. Who do you know doesn't spend and receive $600 within a month? It's absolutely none of the government's business to monitor our bank accounts, our spending habits. That is one step closer to having a social credit score. For the government to tell you what you can and can't purchase, to freeze your accounts, and also to tax you on everything. They say they want it to make sure the rich pays their fair share. Is $600 the rich? This is what this is what politicians have been really good at. They're, they you know, they create these slogans 
the rich, the wealthy, to tax the billionaires, because it sounds good to an ignorant public. But when you take a second to actually think about it and think about what they want to do, you would quickly, hopefully, if you're, you know, a conscious, you know, smart person who has a brain that works, that it's not. That is just a slogan for them to get you on board. And the next step, it's your bank account. If you're cutting your friend's hair and you pay, you got paid under the table, it's your bank account that they're coming for. You do nails on the side, you sell some artwork, Big Brother is gonna monitor all your bank accounts and make sure you pay taxes on every little course of business that you do. And they really sell it to the public and the, to their constituents that it's for their benefit and to make sure people pay their fair share. It's unfortunate but the reality of the fact. And a lot of it has to do with our educational system. They don't teach us about money. They don't teach us about taxes in the public schools. And there is a purpose and that is purposefully done. They don't want you to know about taxes because then you'd wonder how they tax you. They don't want you to know about taxes because then you'd wonder where your tax money goes. They don't want you to know about investments. They don't want you to know how about money because then you'd question how they spend it. It's purposefully done to leave the public ignorant when it comes to how our government operates, how taxes are enacted as well as um, orchestrated throughout the economy and throughout civilization or society. It is purposefully done because an ignorant public is beneficial to politicians who just want to keep coercing further, further government regulation and further government surveillance over the American citizenry. Because when they have that, they have power. And once they have the power, it's very hard to have the government let go of the power. And if history teaches anything, the way they let go of the power is through force or through war. Unfortunately, that's just, that's how it goes. And that's why it's important for us to take a personal responsibility to understand money, to understand investments, to understand taxes, and to ultimately fundamentally believe that the government doesn't have the authority to surveil us to the extent that they have. And it's time for change. So now I wanna go to talking about the federal government tax revenue and how it's broken up and who pays the majority of taxes here in America because politicians love to lie about that. The, the 1%, the 1%. The rich need to pay their fair share. They don't pay enough taxes. Actually, they pay the most taxes, but let me break it down for you. So the US government total revenue is estimated to $3.86 th trillion for the fiscal year 2021. You wanna tell me $3.8 trillion isn't enough money for the federal government? In the fiscal year of 2021, income taxes will account for 50% or $1.9 trillion. So the majority of revenue that the federal government is obtaining is through the income tax. Payroll taxes make up 36% or $1.3 trillion. Corporate taxes supply 7%. The rest is made up of estate taxes, custom duties, and interest on the Federal Reserve's holding in the U.S. Treasury. This includes $1.01 trillion for Social Security, $308 billion for Medicare, $43 billion for unemployment insurance. Corporate taxes will add another 
$284 billion. The remainder of the federal, federal revenues come from excise taxes, which is about $87 billion, tariffs and imports, which are about $54 billion, estate taxes, which are about $22 billion, miscellaneous receipts, which are about $40 billion. The largest debts to the U.S. and which cost the American taxpayers the most is Medicare, $1.2 trillion, Social Security, $1.01 trillion, and Defense and War um, for, one, or for $717 billion. The government spends, as you can see, more money than it actually takes in. It takes in $3.8 trillion, yet it has a budget deficit of $966 billion, almost a trillion dollars that the government overspends. Mind you, we're $28 trillion in debt, yet they keep spending and keep passing these omnibus bills that are thousands of pages long, worth $1.2 trillion, $3 trillion, and they're told you that it's going to help you. When you realize that money is not this, numbers don't lie. Money, they might be able to print money, but the actual economy, economics, is not this figment of our imagination that can just be manipulated relentlessly. Eventually, the hens will come home to roost. The can that we keep kicking down the road will be squished and it will cause a larger effect and worse economic despair because of the fixes the government is implementing and selling to the American public as essential. Essential, otherwise it's gonna be catastrophic. It's gonna be catastrophic either way. The US federal spending is $6.8 trillion. The budget deficit overall is $2.7 trillion. They're irresponsible. They can't budget our money yet they want to have more of our money. They want to have the right to tax you more. And the government wants to have right to more and more of your money, yet they can't even budget the money they already get. We don't even know where the majority of our money goes. When, you're, when we're spending $3 trillion, $1.2 trillion for COVID in the Kennedy Center and these Institute of Arts and Planned Parenthood are getting billions and millions of dollars, that's not for the benefit of the US citizen. The federal government is not supposed to regulate and be intertwined in every single industry. They're, per, they're to protect and defend the life, liberty, and property of its citizens. The rest is to be implemented to the states. It should be out of the Department of Education. The states should be left, over, left to educate their citizens. It should be out of foreign aid. We should not give any foreign aid. We have enough problems here in America. Leave the foreign aid to people who want to donate their time and money and for private missionaries or things of that nature. We do not need our federal government being intertwined with foreign governments. That is a conflict of interest. We do not need the federal government surveilling, surveilling American citizens. We do not need the IRS and the DOJ and the FBI to be investigating the, your average American. This it's a federal government gone too far. This is not how our government was to be implemented and to be orchestrated and how to govern its people. It's supposed to be a government governed by the consent of the governed. How do we give consent to bills worth trillions of dollars? We can't even conceptualize trillions of dollars. How do we give consent to bills hundreds, if not thousands of pages long? 
How do we give consent to taxes that are levied against us? And if we don't pay them back, our assets can be confiscated. Our, we could be put in jail. We have no consent. We have to tax. We have to pay the government these taxes or be punished. And we need to understand that the government doesn't produce anything. They don't make money. They don't produce wealth. They take money, they take wealth, and then they redistribute it. And then they demand more of your money. You cannot tax a country or a society into prosperity. You cannot tax an economy to flourish. And you can't give a government unlimited amounts of money and expect them to be responsible. The U.S. national debt is $28.9 trillion, $86,955 per citizen. That is $229,705 per taxpayer. Do I want to ask, do you guys have $229,000? Majority of you do not. Yet that is how much debt we're in per taxpayer. The debt to the GDP ratio in the 1960s was 52%. Now it's 126% our debt to GDP, meaning we have much more debt than we are creating in our economy. That's a problem. That is, a, that is going to hurt. And not only that, is that not only is our debt to GDP ratio 126,000, what if I told you, and this was published in May 2021, that 40% of all the US dollars that have ever been printed, 40% of which was in the last 18 months. That is a problem. That is a federal government and a federal reserve gone rogue. That is a federal government and the federal reserve having absolutely no concern for the citizens of America and their financial situation. Total, totally irresponsible, which is why these people cannot have this much money in a monopoly over our monetary system. When you control people with their finances, you control them entirely. Entirely. If they can monitor your bank account over $600, if the government gets paid before you get paid, if everything that you want to pass down to your family gets taxed, are you free? And if you don't pay those taxes, your assets will be seized, your bank accounts frozen, and you'll go to jail. Is that, is that what sounds like a free society to you? So now let's break down who actually pays the most taxes in America and how it is broken up in tax brackets and tax rates. So this is a summary of the 2017 federal income tax data that was published in February of 2020. The bottom 50% of Americans making $41,750 or less pay an average tax rate of 4%. The sh their share income is 11.3%. Their share total tax is 3.1%. So they actually pay a tax less than the amount they contribute to the income overall. The top 50%, which is 41,000 and above, pay an average tax rate of 16%. Their shared income is 88.7% and their shared tax 
the shared income tax is 96.7%. So they make about 88% of all the income, yet they pay 97% of all the taxes, and that's the top 50%. The top 35%, which tax rate is 18.2%. Their share of the income is 69%, and their share of the taxes are 86%. Again, paying more of the taxes than they actually contribute. The top 5%, 208,000 to 515,000, pay an average tax rate of 23%. Their shared income is 36%. Their total share of the taxes is 59%. Again, paying more taxes than they contribute to the total income. The top 1%, which is 515% or higher, pay 26.8% tax rate. Their share is 21%. Their share of the total income tax is 38%. Again, paying more taxes than they contribute to the overall taxes. So the bottom 15%, 4% tax. The top 50% to the top 35, 16% tax. The top 35 to the top 10%, 18% tax. The top 10% to the top 5%, 21% tax. The top 5% to the top 1%, 23% tax. And the top 1% pays a 26.8%. That's a progressive tax system. When the bottom 50% of income which contributes 11% of the total income, yet pays only 4% of the taxes. And the 1% who contributes 21% of the total income, yet pays 38% taxes for the total tax revenue. That's a progressive, not uniform tax system. The 1% pays the majority of taxes. The top 1% pays 38% of all the federal income tax. So let's totally, that totally rips through the narrative that the rich don't pay their fair share, that the 1% don't pay their fair share. It's a slogan and a sinister slogan at that for politicians to manipulate its citizens on a, an emotional basis to gain further access to their accounts, to obtain more of the American's money via taxes, and to ultimately have more power over every aspect of their lives. And they don't even comprehend it because they're so emotionally tied to the idea or, or even they're emotionally manipulated by their envy, which envy is a sin. Their envy and their hatred towards people who have more than them, that they're willing to wield the government and the powers of the government and the central banks and the banks against their own freedom and future opportunities and prosperities. It's pretty incredible. And now I kind of want to just touch on the investment, the psychological impact of taxes on the economy, entrepreneurs, investors, and I'll give you some historical examples. In the 1920s, the tax rates were cut and this was under Secretary Mellon and the Coolidge, I think it started in the Harding administration, followed into the Coolidge administration. Where in, two, in 1921, the tax rate for people making $100,000 was 73% and the federal government collected 700 million in taxes, 30% of which was paid by those making 100,000 or more. In 1929, after a series of tax rate reductions, and the tax rate went from 73% to 24%, those making $100,000 or more, the federal government collected over a billion dollars. Why is that, you may ask? 
because when the tax rates are lower, entrepreneurs and investors, those who are willing to risk their money for a reward, see that the tax rate is reasonable enough for them to invest and risk their money for a greater return on their money. Because you have to understand this is psychological. I'm not going to spend a lot of my money if I don't think it's worth the risk. But when I think the tax rate is fair enough and it incentivizes me to want to invest more of my money knowing that if I do it well, I will make a great return on my money and I'm fine with paying that 24% tax to the government, I will do it. Otherwise, if I have higher tax rates of a tax rate, let's say in 1921 of 73%, people who are financially literate and understand money are going to either, one, put their money in tax shelters into you know, bonds and these things and these Roths that you can't touch until a specific age, avoiding taxes, or they're going to put their money overseas. So they're going to save and avoid paying those taxes as well. It's going to affect the economy because we need investors. We need entrepreneurs to invest in the economy, to create jobs, to create businesses. If they don't do that because the tax incentives are not in their favor, the economy will suffer. And like I already previously mentioned, the government doesn't create anything. They don't create jobs. We don't want government jobs. Those are just paid by the American taxpayer. They don't create revenue. They don't create wealth. They take it and then they redistribute it. We don't want more and more government jobs, more and more government industries. They're irresponsible. They're inefficient. They're not transparent. And we pay for it all. We don't want a bigger government. The bigger the government, the smaller the individual. They're never held accountable. They're never held responsible for any of their decisions. Why would we want them to control our monetary system, to control our education, to control our economy? We are not a free society if our government controls every aspect of our lives. And I want to end by saying many of these taxes that the government has levied and instituted on the American citizen, in my estimation and my knowledge thus far, I would say are unconstitutional. But of course, that's something that I would like to research further. And I, you know, I would like you guys to do the same. But to also just understand that we are $28 trillion in debt. We pay the government $3.8 trillion a year in taxes. They still run a deficit. Our roads are horrible. Our public school systems are falling behind the rest of the world. Our government Medicare is often, often has uh, fraud. Not as, you know, the reason Medicare is so expensive is because the government allows the hospitals and all these things to be non-transparent, just like they're non-transparent with taxes. You go to the doctors and you take an Advil and you don't even know it's called, you charge you $400 and it's like a 10 digit code because the government put laws to do that. The government allowed a 74,000 page tax code. The government allows the tax code to be so complicated. You have to pay a CPA or an attorney, many of these people who are going to lobby for these legislation, for this legislation, because then it allows them to get more clients. 
You think big companies don't love big government? You don't think big government colludes in our economy via raising taxes on certain on co certain companies, raising taxes on certain industries, while providing subsidies for the industries and the companies of their choosing? That is not a free market capitalist society. That is what they act like it is. So then you continue giving the government more and more control over your money, over your taxes, over your industry via taxes and regulation. Little do you know, when the government has such a control over every institution, that is an example of socialism and communism. But they're not going to tell you that. They're going to picture it and frame it to you and communicate it to the public as capitalism, as free markets. You can't claim something to be a free market industry when the government provides subsidy, when the go federal government provides funding, when the federal government and the Federal Reserve has a monopoly over the monetary system, the interest rates, and your taxes. And it's an system you can't opt out of. You can't opt out of paying taxes. They can seize your wealth and they can arrest you and they can prosecute you. That's why the only pathway forward to have a free society and for the people to have a government for the people, by the people, is to have a decentralized government. To have the states, your counties, your cities, to have the most influence and power over the people and the federal government to do the bare minimum. Federal government to deal with foreign complications, they don't need to be in education. They don't need to give foreign aid. They don't need to tell you how to run your businesses. And I think as we, the government continues to grow more and more expansive and they tend to, they seem to be getting more and more aggressive against the common, the common man here in America, people are starting to wake up to it. I just, I do have faith and I just hope that we take it upon ourselves to have a personal interest into learning about these things. Because I know politics can be however you think. It's, it's exhausting. It's something you're not interested in. Just know that politics runs your life. The government runs your life. When they're monitoring bank accounts of $600, when they're raising taxes, when they're starting new government entities via climate change, because there always has to be a crisis, whether it be war, inflation, depression, a crisis that they can wield onto its citizenry will then just provide further power over to the government. So be skeptical of politicians who are always screaming about a crisis. And the only way to solve that crisis is to just give them more money and more power. Because once you give them more money and more power, it's really difficult to get that power back from the government without bloodshed. So I hope this provided you some insight, some education. Of course, I tell you to look into it further yourself. If you did find it informative, please consider like, sharing, and subscribing. And as always, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it a lot. I hope to see you guys soon. God bless, take care, and learn about money. See you guys later.